feel like life has us down, like we are pinned down under the difficulties of life. Perhaps it's the death of a loved one, perhaps it's an illness that's going on in your family, perhaps it's the pressures of parenting, perhaps it's the long days at work that seem to have no end in sight. Perhaps it's uh, just the loneliness that you can't explain. You know, you are surrounded by people and yet you still feel loneliness. And how does God's Word address these situations? You know, God's Word does speak to these situations. You see it in the Psalms. Uh, one of the passages that comes to my mind when I think about uh, loneliness and hardship and just this feeling of being overwhelmed comes from Psalm 44. And I'm going to read uh, the very end of that psalm for us, and you can follow along on the screen. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hand to a foreign God, would not God search this out? The idea is, um, if we'd gone and forsaken God, would not God have known? And he would have come and he would have dealt with us according to our sin, right? For, for he knows the secrets of the heart, yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake! Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise! Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. So this is the psalmist crying out to God, asking God to come into the middle of his situation in which he's feeling overwhelmed, and he's asking God to intervene, to work on his behalf, to change his situation so that he can once again see God working in his life and providing for him and caring for him. And perhaps as I read through that, you're like, one of those verses sounds an awful lot like a New Testament verse. And if so, you'd be exactly right, because one of those verses is found. By pointing us to a few different ideas in Romans chapter 8, he, he points us to the fact that God has everything under, under his control, that nothing takes God by surprise, that God has orchestrated the events of our lives for our good. And he does God. Let me read you that passage as well, just to kind of set the tone for what I believe Daniel chapter 8 is trying to point our attention to. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through verse 39. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Our weakness in expressing how we feel, the, the groaning that our hearts feel in a sin-cursed world. For we do not know how we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, God is providentially caring for his people. He goes on and he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called and those whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, he's also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The idea that Paul is trying to communicate in this section of Romans is that the love of God is being demonstrated in our lives through the events that we're brought into. And God is using the events of our lives for his good purposes. And sometimes we may not be able to step back and immediately see exactly what God is doing and how he's working out all those events for our good and for his glory, but he's doing just that. He's showing himself to be a God who is faithful, who is loving, and who orchestrates all the events of life for his purposes. Daniel is in a setting that is very overwhelming. This is a young man who, younger than many of the young people in our church, or right around some of your age, was taken from his home and taken to Babylon to serve an evil king. And in the midst of all that, God blesses him, God cares for him, God demonstrates his faithfulness to him time and time again. We've seen many of these stories already. And yet the promises that God has made to the nation of Israel in Daniel's day are not fulfilled. Israel is not in the land. There is not a king of David sitting on the throne. There is not peace and tranquility. There is the judgments of God. And as Daniel looks on, he is concerned. How is God going to work out all of these events for his purposes? How is he going to demonstrate that he is a God who is sovereign, providentially caring for all the events of life under these circumstances. And God comes and God reassures him by giving him a vision, telling him, I am in control. I have all of this under my plan. Nothing is going to escape my providential care. And these events in Daniel chapter 8 that we're going to look at are all events that for us are past events, I believe. And so as we look at these past events and we are reminded of God's faithfulness in the past, we can then look forward and say, if God has been faithful in the past, God will be faithful in the present. God will be providentially caring for the events of my life today. And God will be faithful in the future. And God will providentially care for the events that are yet future for my life today. And so I believe that is the purpose here for us. Daniel's purpose was to reassure him that God had a plan for what was future for him. We look at it, though, not as something that is future for us, but as something that has taken place. We can look and we can say 400, 500 years before these events took place, God knew what was going to take place, and he said, this is what's going to take place. And so we can find hope and we can find encouragement in these verses. If you would take your copy of God's Word, and let's read together Daniel chapter Daniel chapter 8. The third year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. To me, 
Daniel, after the one who, that had appeared to me the first time, I saw the vision, and it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no came great. And as I was considered, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him and attacked the ram and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one who could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable horns came up toward the four winds of, uh, toward the four winds, I lost my place, four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it came down some of the and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars of the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and he came. when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, said a man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright, and he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time the end shall be, the ram which you saw, Having the two horns, they are the kings of the Media, of Media and Persia, and the male goats and the, is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn, which is between its eyes, is the first king. As for the broken horn and the horn that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall rise out of that one nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive, and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings which he was told, which was told is true. 
Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. After I, afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you know the future, and that as a result, we know that you know our futures. And that nothing about our futures takes you surprise. Nothing about our futures are out of your sovereign, powerful hand. Pray that as we reflect upon these truths and how they are demonstrated in the story of Daniel, that you would help us to understand that these same truths apply in our own lives. And while we may not have the details revealed to us in a vision as he does, we can trust that you are a good God and that you are going to orchestrate the events of the future for our good and that they will magnify and honor you. I believe the theme of the passage is this. Remember God's providence in the past, and he will providentially care for you. As you and I remember, it then causes us to be assured that that same providential care is going to be something that's demonstrated to you and I. As you look at the passage, you're going to see that the first idea is that God reveals his plan through a vision. God reveals his plan through a vision. This is in the first chapter, or the first few verses of the chapter. God comes and he graciously reveals more of his plan to his servant. Daniel has just had Daniel chapter 7 revealed to him. Daniel chapter 7 is like the long view, right? Daniel chapter 7 goes further than Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 takes us a couple steps back and says, we're just going to focus in on these first two, uh, three, three kingdoms, okay? And we're going to get this narrow view of history. It's only like, you know, 500 years. But Daniel chapter 7 gives like all of history. It goes all the way to the judgment where God establishes his kingdom and righteousness reigns forever. But now God comes back after giving him this first vision. And he's going to go back and he's going to give him more details about events that are close for him. In, you know, relative terms to 2,500 years 500 years is very close. And so God is graciously coming to him, and he's giving him more information. We see Daniel recording this idea. He says, a vision appeared to me after the one that appeared to me at the first. And as this vision comes to him, Daniel places himself in a future area of the Media and Persia kingdom. And so he's in Shushan. He's by the citadel, and he's in the province of Elam. So this is probably a different place than from where he actually lived. And he's observing this future leader or this future kingdom as it's demonstrated through this powerful, this powerful ram. And this powerful ram is a picture of the dominance that this ram is going to have, this kingdom is going to have over the known world. It does whatever it wants. You see that pictured in the text. As this ram is conquering and going wherever it wants, verse 4 says, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward. And the idea is that he does whatever he wants, he conquers whomever he wants, and no one can stop him. The text makes note of that. Nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. He exercises his dominance. He establishes himself, and he is extremely powerful. The horns 
there's one that comes up, and then a second one that comes up, and it grows higher. And it's probably the idea that the kingdom is um, the kingdom is kind of just taken over, and there's not like a huge battle that necessarily takes place. And part of the kingdom just absorbs another part, and it becomes greater. And it's probably picturing that idea of the media, and then the Persia, and when that extra part comes up, it's even greater. It's a more powerful, more domineering kingdom. And that's the idea, probably that that part is trying to picture for us. But what happens? He's extremely powerful. He does whatever he wants. He goes wherever he wants. He establishes power and control over the whole known world. And then a goat suddenly appears and defeats the ram with its great fury. That's what verses 5 and following are describing for us. All of a sudden, seemingly, almost that's how at least this ruler is going to feel. Out of nowhere comes this new kingdom. Who is this? This is Alexander the Great with the empire of Greece. And what happens? In the course of three years, Alexander comes and he takes over this entire empire. He just completely wipes it out. It's completely unimaginable such a huge empire with such great power and strength would be able to be defeated in just three short years by really a nobody. Nobody knew who Alexander was. And the idea is that God's the one who's establishing leaders and he's tearing down leaders. And he does it when and how he wants. But Alexander doesn't live for long after he conquers the kingdom of the Media and Persia. So what happens is he dies. And you see that pictured by the goat has one single horn that is coming up out from between its two eyes. And then when that horn breaks off, four new horns pop up. And this we see as we read through history. Alexander the Great died. And if you enjoy that section of history, you probably remember that there are four successors that pop up after Alexander. And these four successors take different parts of the kingdom. And for the next 23 years or so, they battle each other, trying to establish dominance over each other. And nobody really wins, and they eventually just kind of leave it alone. But there's one ruler of these four who is an arrogant king. And his pride grows, and it's demonstrated beyond the others. And what's he going to do? He's going to desolate the Lord's sanctuary for a designated period. Therefore the male goat, uh, male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, this is verse 8, and in place of it, four notable horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great. What's growing? It's not his power, because his power isn't growing and domineering all the others. He, he gets a little bit of territory from others, but not great in, a, in reference to, like, or in comparison to Alexander's kingdom or the Ram's kingdom. Rather, I think the idea is that his arrogance and his pride is growing, so much so that he coins coins, and as he does so, he imprints upon them the idea that he himself is magnified above God. I think the idea is that he's growing in pride, he's growing in arrogance, and his arrogance is an assault on the very character of God. 
And as he does this, he, he grows exceedingly toward the east and toward the glorious land. This is the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. And so his kingdom is going to be controlling that section. And as he does this, he cast down the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He is attacking God's people. He is attacking re what represents God. And he exalts himself as the prince of the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices are taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down because of transgression of the sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, her army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. And then somebody comes, and what do they say? They say, how long is this going to go on in verse 13? And the answer comes back, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, there is all sorts of commentator debate about the 2,300 days, because the literal Hebrew is 2,300 mornings and evenings. And so the question is, is it 2,300 sacrifices that are morning and evenings, making 1,150 days? Or is it 2,300 days? I'm not sure. Probably, I'm not. I don't know. I have I have slight opinions, but not strong enough that I really care to make strong notes. Anyways, but the idea is that there's a designated time. That God has an appointed amount of time. I think that this is supposed to be somehow taken literally. Whether you take it 1,150 days or 2,300 days, Commentators debate and they argue, but the idea is that at the end of a certain designated period of time, God is going to no longer allow this ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, to continue to rule and establish his arrogance and his dominance over God's people. That he's going to remove him from leadership. And God does that. So God comes and he graciously reveals his plan through a vision. But then God comes and he clarifies his plan through an interpreter. He doesn't simply tell them this is what's going to happen and leave them at that. He comes and he gives them an interpretation. He helps them to understand this in greater detail. As he does this, he's providing comfort for them. If you read through the text, you'll see a number of references to the, the heartache and the anguish that Daniel is feeling as he experiences all this new information. Um, Look at verse um, 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. This deep sleep comes upon him in verse 18, but he touched me and stood me upright. And then even at the end of all this, in verse 27, I fainted and was sick for days afterward. I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. But God is seeking to comfort him by interpreting the vision to him. So he doesn't simply just reveal more information to him. He then comes and he seeks to interpret it for him. Gabriel then explains the identity of the goat. He specifically tells him that the goat is going to be the kingdom of Greece. Look at verse 20 and 21. The ram which you saw, having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn is between the eye is the first king. And he's going to come, and he's going to conquer. And then after he does that, four kingdoms shall rise out of that nation, but not with its power. They're not going to have the same amount of power. Why?
Why? Because there's four kingdoms, not just one. And then he goes on and he just gives in greater detail and greater interpretation what all is going to take place under that fourth king, four, those four kingdoms, specifically the one that's going to rule in the area of the nation of Israel. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty, and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. He shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. Antiochus Epiphanes was not killed by another person, like an assassination plot, but died of more natural means, I think is the idea there. Now the vision of the evening and the mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. So Gabriel comes, he explains the vision, he tells them that the coming king is going to come, he's going to inflict great pain, he's going to inflict persecution and heartache upon the people of God. But as his arrogance grows, he's going to be destroyed without human involvement. And then God's plan overwhelms Daniel. I think there's a lot of hope right there. Because we know intellectually Romans chapter 8, right? We know that God loves us. We know that God has a plan that he's working out for our good. And yet as we go through the events of this life, very often the words of Psalm 44 that we read earlier are the thoughts that race through our mind. Where is God? Why doesn't God act? Why is he allowing this to go on? If I was disobeying, he would know and he would deal with me. But here I am, living in obedience, and I don't see God caring for me, right? That's so, how, so often how we feel. And Daniel has God graciously come, reveal to him, this is the future. This is how I'm going to work. Eventually, yes, God's going to establish dominance and God's going to work all this out. You don't need to worry about it, Daniel. But as Daniel sees the pain and the heartache and the trials that's going to come upon his people, his response isn't immediately to go, oh, God loves us and he has a plan and he's going to take care of this. Rather, his response is one that is very much like ours. It's completely overwhelming. I pointed you out already, but let me just once again highlight his response initially. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Verse 18, but he was speaking with me, and I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. And then verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days afterward. I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood. It's understandable that we feel overwhelmed. But that's not where God wants us to stay. God is teaching you and I, through the book of Daniel, that he does have a plan. That he knows the events that are going to take place. That nothing is outside of his control. 
that nothing's going to come and snatch you away from his plan. And that you and I, as we go through the events, as we're overwhelmed, that what you and I most desperately need is to continue seeking after God. Keep looking to him and keep trusting in him. It's very interesting. Tonight we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. And it's interesting how does Daniel chapter 9 start? Is Daniel chapter 9 a picture of an overwhelmed Daniel who's like, woe is me, this is completely ununderstandable, I'm going to just give up and throw my hands up in the air? No, Daniel chapter 9, I'll give you a quick sneak preview of tonight, and, and then hopefully you'll come back tonight and get the fuller picture of this. But Daniel chapter 9 begins by Daniel, he's studying, he's looking at God's word, and he's contemplating what is the meaning of the 70 weeks, and as he's studying that, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, that's what that means. We've sinned. We need to confess our sin and go back to God and get right with God. And that's what he does. Knowing God's plan and being overwhelmed does not lead him to say, I'm going to throw up my arms and throw in the towel and give up. Rather, it drives him to pursuing a greater knowledge and love of God, a greater desire to submit himself to him. So as we as we conclude with Daniel chapter 8, we know the Lord who holds the future in his hands. Just like Daniel's life was completely in God's sovereign, powerful hand, and none of the events that came into his life were outside of God's purview. The same thing is true for your life and my life. Nothing that comes into your life or into my life is something that completely shocks God. Knows what's going to happen. And so he holds the future. Our lives are not out of God's providential hand. And as a result, you and I should rejoice in the fact that he has a plan. And that he's working out his plan perfectly and in his time. And as a result, knowing that God is a God who loves us and nothing can separate us from his faithful love, we're going to trust him to sovereignly care for us in the midst of very uncertain times. God's plan will not be uprooted by human hands. God has his plan, and nobody's going to change his plan by working hard. That's what he's teaching. He specifically says that about this evil king. You would think that, you know, like, there's this evil king that's persecuting God's people, doing all sorts of evil things to God's people. You can Google it on your own time and just look up Antiochus and look at some of the evil things he did. You would think, how easy would it be for God to just use some person to go and assassinate him, you know, one year into this instead of three and a half or seven years into this, and just end it all for God's people. But God doesn't choose to do that. He uses his own means and his own time. God's going to do that but then I think as you think through the overwhelmed feeling that you and I can sometimes have as we think through all the uncertainties and the difficulties of our life, Daniel's response, as we're going to see in Daniel chapter 9, is not to say, I give up. Rather, his response is to seek to know and love God more. And so you see in Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through, the, through Jeremiah the prophet, 
that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face to the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wicked deeds and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. His response is to look for and to seek to know God better. He doesn't throw in the towel. He says, this is cause for me to even more dig in my heels and say, I want to know my God through this trial. And let me encourage you, as you go through times of overwhelming, seek to know God. He wants to be known. He is compassionate and welcoming to you. But he wants you to pursue him. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that nothing is outside of your sight. That nothing is outside of your plan. That you have a plan. That your plan is a good plan. And that your plan will demonstrate your love. And that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray that as we meditate upon these truths, that it would drive us not away from you, but it would drive us to you love and affection and a desire to know you and to repent of sin that may be keeping us from where you would have us to be 